Hey everyone, thanks for listening to this episode of Probably Should Have Known Better, where we'll be watching Gary Marshall's romantic comedy, The Other Sister. Uh, quick content warning, we'll be talking about the historical treatment and media depiction of people with intellectual disabilities in this episode, so you're going to hear uh, a lot of names and slurs uh, from the past uh, that uh, you may find offensive. These are obviously products of a very different time, uh, some of them from as far back as 1999. Enjoy the show. Winnie! Your mother said another 15 minutes. Did you tell her that I don't like tennis still? She said that all well-bred girls play tennis, chess, or bridge. Is it 15 minutes yet? For 21 years, Carla Tate has had a handicap to overcome. No! Carla, get away from the water! Her mother. I give her love, I protect her, I teach her, and suddenly that's smothering. Those are her words, not mine, Mrs. Tate. There was one other thing I wanted to share with you. Oh, yay, uh, okay. Before we get started, which is I was at a friend's house last night. And Good for you, you they, have friends. I know, it's very exciting. No, they <laughs> found... Um, they found and gave to me a board game from 1989 uh, that was put out. It was a branded board game by the Hollywood Improv, <gasps> uh, like, stand-up theater. What? <laughs> and and uh, it's just called the Improv Comedy Game, which is weird because it's a stand-up game, uh, oh. but the theater is called the Improv. Oh, my God. Uh, but... <laughs> The premise, the, the premise of the game is uh, you ha- basically you alternate turns and you have 30 seconds to make the other players laugh. But um, there are four joke books um, and you, you throw dice to see like which joke you uh, have to tell. Oh, in my God. Turn. This is so wild. And uh and, like, you can do anything you want in the 30 seconds you have, but you have to use the joke um, as part of that 30 <laughs> seconds. But there's there's four books, and there's they're different, uh, different themes. So there's gags, which are the actually funny jokes. Okay. Uh, there's groans, which are deliberately <laughs> unfunny jokes. So, for example, um, how do you make antifreeze? take her blankets um and then uh the other one how do lunatics walk through the forest they take the psychopath uh no yes (laughs) then you have a book that's labeled improvs and that's that's either jokes that don't have punchlines uh or punchlines that don't have jokes or like other setups that you need to like fill in the rest of so it like for example make up a joke for the following punchline popeye almost killed him and that's you just have to you just have to come up with the setup uh or going the other way game so hard yeah the other one the going the other way same book um why can't santa claus have children oh oh uh and I was, like, paging through the books and reading this to my friends yesterday. Oh. And, like, it's gun to my head. The punchline I came up to for that joke was, why can't Santa Claus have children? Because he jizzes snow. <laughs> and, 
and uh, and Stacy, my wife, just gave me like the angriest look. Uh, at that. So, and there's other setups like do an impression of John Wayne as a camp counselor. Oh my god! Uh, do an impression of the the outgoing message on Jimmy Stewart's phone answering machine. Uh, do an impression of Doctor Ruth playing the Wicked Witch of the West. So that's that's three of the four books. <laughs> the f- the fourth book is called Cracks, uh, and this is described as this booklet. I'm sorry, a collection of sick jests, wise comments, and pseudo-ethnic barbs oh! designed to equally offend everybody. Oh, I hope you didn't get that book. Well, the the best part... No, it's great. I have it right in front of me. Okay. The best part is most of these jokes are written... The setup has blanks. Uh, in it, and it says, insert the ethnic group of your choice. Oh my god, so it's like racist Mad Libs? Yeah. Uh. So, I don't, uh, I'm not going to fill in any ethnic groups, uh, but I'm going to uh, just read some of these jokes to you. Um, What's the worst advice you can give a blank student? Uh, And the answer is, be yourself. No! Uh, and then the other one, uh, what did the blank... Again, this is 1989. Oh, my this God. This isn't that long ago. Okay. Uh, what did the blank kid get for Christmas? Uh, my bike. Uh, and so... <laughs> oh, my God. I hate this. This is actually great, though. <laughs> like, so you know, I... it's so bad, and you just love it, but you can't... Yeah. You just can't give it a laugh because you feel wrong. <laughs> Guys, it's Probably Should Have Known Better, uh, celebrating comedy that has aged very poorly. I'm Tony Ginocchio, joined as always by just just such a wonderful friend. Just, this is just so nice. Just a, sh- a shining star keep, keep going. In, in the firmaments <laughs> of this trash world. It is uh, truly a dystopia. Yeah, it's Nadia Vasquez. Hey, it's me! Hi! Um, hi we're back! Uh, which is which means nothing to our listeners, uh, but <laughs> uh, but to our listeners, we recorded four episodes, uh, ending with bringing down the house. Oy. And when, after we recorded bringing down the house, we were like, let's not do this for three months. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think I, I needed a, a break from my soul. <laughs> watching watching bad movies on accident is one thing, but watching bad movies on purpose is just like, oh, do I hate myself this much? Like, really? <laughs> really? This is what I, how I'm spending my time researching Mel Gibson. <laughs> Just for seeing, fun. Seeing, like, kind of the different layers of slurs that Betty White used. Oh, my God. Uh, in a film from 2003. Ugh. It, the, the worst part is, though, is that I feel like a lot of the movies that we're watching came out not even that long ago. I, I No! I mean... Obviously, social media is the best, and it's educating a lot of people very quickly, but I think we just need to scrub our history of pop culture at this point, because it's just really embarrassing and shameful. 
Well, uh, speaking of embarrassing and speaking of bad movies from not that long ago, I am very excited for our selection today um, because, one, it's not good. <laughs> uh, it's not a good film. No. But also, uh, I think it's, it's a good kind of example of a certain, like, really specific genre of film that was popular uh, kind of in the late 90s. I like to call 2000s. it emotional snuff. Yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So so what we're watching today uh, is The Other Sister from mm. 1999, mm-hmm. directed by Gary Marshall uh, and starring Juliette Lewis, Giovanni Ribisi, uh, Diane Keaton, and Tom Skerritt. I just want to say these are all great actors, and they really yes. did the best that they could with what they were given. <laughs> Giovanni Ribisi had already done... Saving Private Ryan oh. when this movie came out. Had it been released uh, already, or was it just he had shot it? No, it was out. Oh, it was done. Okay. It had been nominated for Academy Awards. Wow. I don't think he was nominated specifically. IMDb still lists Giovanni Ribisi, by the way, as best known for uh, Sky Captain and the World of Tomorrow. Wow. Um, I best know him for Phoebe's brother on yes. Friends, who is, I feel like, a similar character to the one he was playing in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> like, there's a lot of things like, oh, that's Frank. That's that's Frank there. Oh, that's Frank there. I don't think he's stretching very far. <laughs> so, yeah, the, the thing about Giovanni Ribisi and Juliette Lewis in this movie is both of them are playing characters with unspecified <sighs> intellectual disabilities. That, I think, is the hardest part of the movie for me is just that there's no specific diagnosis or explanation. It's just they're special, but right. like in, in the cheesy way and not in the way that's like, we're explaining actual it's, facts. <laughs> it's so heavy handed. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. so um, deliberately maudlin. And like you said, it's emotional snuff. It's um, yeah. even though it's directed by Gary Marshall, who of course you know directed Pretty Woman and is this famous comedy director and a legend in television and sitcoms. Mm-hmm. And then uh, towards the end of his life, directed some really terrible films like Valentine's Day, New Year's Eve, and Mother's Day. Oh, I didn't know uh, he did those. Now yeah, I gotta those, go back and watch them. Yeah, those are his. Oh, jeez. Um, We'll probably do Mother's Day on this podcast at some point. I mean, I kind of want to do every Gary Marshall film except for The Princess Diaries because that is just the most perfect movie ever made. (laughs) (laughs) Okay? I just want to say. But, okay, so when when Gary Marshall's name popped up in in the credits, I completely forgot that he directed this, and it just seemed really out of character. Right, because he normally does, I think, more lighthearted stuff. And there's some, you know, there there's plenty of uh, humor meant to be in this film. It's meant to be heartwarming, you know, towards the end. But yeah. it is just a real fucking bummer. Yeah, I I did cry. I got into it. I got into this movie. I, like you cried, like... I cried because like, I was touched. Okay. Okay. Like, but you cried, like, watching the film, like, recent, like, for this podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I have to just uh, say this movie was on reruns, I think, on, like, TBS or TNT growing up, and I watched it a lot. And I <laughs> don't know why. I it, it was something that my family and I would just sit and watch, and I thought I liked it. And now I'm watching it as an adult. I'm like, what the fuck was I watching as a child with my parents and my sisters just being like, this is great. (laughs) 
Well, it was a different time. Yeah. It was nineteen. It was nineteen ninety nine. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I was like in sixth grade, I guess, when this came out. Yeah. Uh, I remember specifically seeing it like on an airplane. Like that's the oh. only time I had seen it. Um, before watching it for this. Movies on an airplane um, are always bad, but this one, I'm so sorry that you had to sit through this one. I have a really bad track record with airplane movies. I've had that one. I had um, Passion of Mind with Demi Moore. I remember that one, which is where she's, like, dreaming about a, a like a separate secret life she has, but she doesn't know which life is the dream and which one is the real one. Oh my god, um, I've never even heard of that, and I feel like we need to do it on this podcast. Yeah, I saw uh, Crossroads on a plane. Okay, um, that is Shonda Rhimes, and so don't ever, no, it, it ever was, say it was anything bar- badly. It was bearable. Um, <laughs> and then... Uh, and then the other one I saw, and, and I'm going to bring this up because it fits very neatly into this genre, was I Am Sam, Sean <gasps> Oh my god, another one. Another right. emotional snuff. God. Which is emotional snuff, and Sean Penn, who, I can't emphasize this enough, is an able-bodied, able-minded actor, like, with no... Um, no real uh, disabilities or illnesses other than being a pretentious piece of shit. Nah. Uh, that is its own disability. Who, yes, who plays a man <laughs> with, again, an unspecified intellectual disability who is just special. Right. Yes. Um, I, I feel like a, a common theme in these movies is that uh, these individuals who are mentally disabled are special because they can provide something for someone else. And I feel like that's what the number one most offensive thing you could do. It's like, oh, it's, it's, it's similar to what's happening with immigration right now where it's like, oh, look at this immigrant. He's amazing. He works yeah, this that's amount. That's the good immigrant. Right, right. You, have right. To, you have to have some level of productivity or provide something for a larger group of people in order to be considered significant or, I don't know, I you guess know, special. Steve Jobs was the child of refugees, and the other children of refugees uh, didn't invent anything. Yeah, fuck uh, all those people. They didn't give me the iPhone I use every day. God, uh, you know, like, like I don't, is... I don't like this. I, I, I mean, I mean, of course, all of it stems from capitalism, which I can get into a huge diatribe about it. Where it's all about your productivity equals your worth in society. I hate that art quote-unquote art, I don't want to use art for this movie, but, you know, things like movies, TV shows that, you know, highlight people who are, quote, different, uh, always have the lesson of, like, well, they're different, but look at all the things they can do. Look In at a all- way, they're teaching us how to love. Uh... <laughs> and it bears mentioning, there were a, a crop of these films kind of around this period, and a lot of them ended up being critically acclaimed. Oh, um, yeah. Like, not this one. <laughs> no, definitely not this one. But uh, but if you were um, an actor playing someone uh, with uh, any sort of disability, physical, intellectual, otherwise, um, or a sort of mental illness, that was a pretty good way to get an Oscar nomination. Totally. Or, and, I mean, uh, Tom Hanks in Forrest Gump is the, absolutely. you know, ultimate example of this obviously sean penn followed with i am sam and this movie <laughs> um, followed dustin hoffman in rain man right uh, is another good example uh um russell crowe in a beautiful mind which is which is different that was a, a mental illness sort of uh 
set up there, but another Oscar favorite, Eddie Redmayne playing Stephen Hawking with ALS. Right. Uh, in, uh, what the hell was that movie called? Theory of Everything. Right. Oh, and don't forget Leonardo DiCaprio and What's Eating Gilbert Grape, which also stars Juliette Lewis. Absolutely. And, of course, uh, Roberto Benigni in Life is Beautiful played someone who was Italian. So <laughs> a lot of different... Oh, God. Oh, and you know, I, I, I don't know if this applies, but um, didn't they consider, like, Hillary Swank playing something like this emotionally snuffy in... Um, yes, in Boys, Boys Don't, Don't Cry. Cry. Yeah, and she got, a, yes. she got an Oscar for that. Yes. Which is so um, that, gross that that's considered... It, it's so weird to think about that now. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen that cons- one, so I don't know. Na- neither have I. Uh, it's not really a comedy, so I don't know if it uh, super... We'll probably watch it. What the <laughs> <laughs> but uh but yeah i mean it wasn't like you said it was a different time but like i think at the in 1999 the number one movie was the sixth sense which is a movie about a different kind of supernatural disability different I sort guess. of special right <laughs> yeah uh, um but the the second highest grossing film of that year was toy story 2 so you know oh. the other sister comes out with all these like with austin powers the spy who shagged me the matrix tarzan and they're just like wait give us a chance is what Gary Marshall is saying. <laughs> is what he was trying to say. Uh, nobody got nominated uh, for any uh, Oscars for this film. In fact, it opened uh, at $6 million, which was pretty crappy. It made $27 million total. Its budget was 35, dollars uh, so it really um, could not be considered a success no. uh, in any sort of commercial sense. Uh, Juliette Lewis was nominated for, uh, and I don't know if you remember these. I think they're still around. Uh, a Razzie Award. Uh, the Golden Raspberries, which she wasn't that bad. Which were, um, which were like the they were like the night before the Oscars, and they were honoring uh. the worst in film. She didn't win. The person who actually won that year, uh, and I'm so excited to share this information with you, was Denise Richards. Uh, <gasps> For the James Bond movie I talked about a few episodes oh ago, my God. the world serious? is not enough, <laughs> which I know I already said this to you, but I'm going to say it again because it's too funny not to share. Her character's name was Dr. Christmas Jones, and the final scene of the film is James Bond having sex with her and saying, I thought Christmas only came once a year. Oh my God, I forgot about this. I can't <laughs> believe she won the... Ra- I, f- uh, I mean, she... <laughs> Juliette Lewis, I know it is very heavy-handed, but she's pretty good at this. Sometimes. Sometimes. There are moments. I I don't know if I'd say that. you want to just get into the film? Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, we didn't go through the former current events, actually. Oh, well, by all means. Let's, let's do that. 1999. Hit me. Hello. Like I mentioned, Sixth Sense was the number one movie in America. Uh, that was the year that um, American Beauty won the Academy Award for okay. Best Picture. So that's where we were, you know, spiritually. Um, so as far as, like... Another, another film that has aged super well. Oh, my God. I can't even. I'm just so embarrassed that for us, just as a society. Uh, so the biggest hit singles of 99 were my personal favorite, Baby One More Time. Uh, nice. My... Another number two song was My Guilty Pleasure, Mambo Number Five, by Lou Vega. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Backstreet Boys were in the top five, No Scrubs were in the top five, and Blue by Eiffel 65 was in the top five. So, you know, we were all about dancing and having a good time, so I don't know what Gary Marshall was thinking making this movie. 
Uh, oh, also, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban was the number one book. Book, yes. We were all about okay. supernatural stuff. Um, that was actually, Azkaban was the last book that had different release dates in the UK and the US. Yeah. Um, and I remember, because I ordered Azkaban from uh, the UK Amazon site so I could get it earlier. Oh, look at yeah. you. You're so special. <laughs> A different kind of special. Different kind of special, yeah, yes. Yeah. Um, anyway, so as a society on TV, we were watching Sopranos, Family Guy, SpongeBob SquarePants. You know, it all kind of seems very recent. It's all things that we remember very vividly. I know I remember, you know, my dad watching Sopranos and walking in and being like, ah! <laughs> why? You know? Oh, and, like you walking into the Sopranos? Yeah, I was too scared yeah. to watch it, you know? So I don't know. This doesn't feel very far away, but it really, really was. Really, really was. Uh, <laughs> but before I go into anything about the movie, I actually did a little bit of research about the history of mental disability. I feel like it's very okay. important for us to know this kind of thing. Um, so pre-World War II, uh, people who were mentally challenged were uh, just basically institutionalized and put into uh, mostly state-funded asylums. Yeah, like sanitariums, like yeah. If you if you like season two of American Horror Story. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sarah Paulson's also in this movie, by the way. Yeah, no, yeah, friend of the show, Sarah Paulson. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, yes. We love you, Sarah. Yeah. So in uh, eighteen seventy nine, there was a guy named Doctor William Fish who said that there needed to be training schools and asylums for quote the reception of the idiotic and the imbecile in is now unquestioned. It, We're it, off to a great start. Right. It is the duty of society to provide for these feeble ones, and which they are calling an idiot child, uh, in the family of a laboring man because they are a burden weighing heavily upon him and may indirectly be the means of rendering the whole family dependent on the state for support. So again, capitalism, it's not about the individual and saving, you know, helping someone. It's about how it's about the it's burden. About, think of all the money you save. Yes. Keeping keeping these idiot children, Jesus right. Christ. Keeping these <laughs> idiot children in one place. Right. You know, that I mean the electricity alone, I mean, it's just <laughs> I mean, out of control. So, yeah. um they believed a lot. They didn't have obviously the research and actual money to fund the, the scientific uh, you know, experiments on these people. And so they thought that the sins of the father led to these children being born. And by that, I mean, you know, men who sleep around and get syphilis. Okay. Yeah. Uh, people who are uh, beggars, people who are poor, people who are thieves. So if you're a bad person, it's likely that your child will have a mental disability is what the theory was at this time. It makes me very upset. Yeah, I was. I was about to say. I'm, <laughs> so I'm, I'm thinking of my own uh, history of being in therapy or uh, talking to my psychiatrist or anything like that, and uh, it really kind of feels like a different time. It really was. It really was. And you know what's worse is that they actually went forward with sterilization of the mentally challenged. Mm -hmm. So uh, the Supreme Court actually upheld the sterilization in 1927 oh, that said, uh, it says, Oliver Wendell Holmes pronounced that three generations of imbeciles is enough. So the Supreme Court was like, all right, you're right. 
But because of this, uh, it's obviously this is what eugenics is. It's all about, yeah. you know, funneling out the people who aren't strong, people who aren't smart, and just getting rid of them so that we have better generations to come. And if that, that doesn't sound familiar to you, that is yeah. something that Hitler was all about. And after World War II, uh, eugenics was not considered okay in the United States any longer. So Yeah, decidedly less hip yeah. to be a eugenicist. Yeah, so the support for sterilization eventually faded. Um, so because of that, deinstitutionalization moved forward. So in 1975, Congress said that uh, there are people who are mentally challenged are no longer required to be institutionalized, and they actually passed... Uh, a bill, a law for free education, public education to children with disabilities. It's called the Education for All Handicapped Children Act. Uh, also, President Kennedy, our guy JFK, who was actually so woke, which is probably why the FBI killed him, uh, he, <laughs> <laughs> he and his sister Eunice um, actually were the ones who started the Special Olympics. Oh, okay. Yeah, so they were all... Yes, I I knew that was the Kennedy family. Yes, that's right. Yeah, so the whole idea behind it was the ideology of normalization is what they called it. They wanted more people to see that people with disabilities were not any different in the sense that in a negative way. They were different Mm -hmm. in the sense that they were abled in a different way, and we need to celebrate that and respect that. Um, Mm -hmm. And you know what else I found out is that a lot of mentally disabled men were joining the military in World War II. And they served really effectively, which I think is really shady because I don't think they were like, yeah, I want to go to war. Mm-hmm. So that's something mm-hmm. to look into for all my conspiracy theorist friends. Ooh. Yeah, and, you know, I think the only thing I would take issue with that you, you know, said in the past few minutes is it was technically the CIA, I believe, that was behind the Kennedy oh, assassination, not you. the FBI. Yeah. Thank you so much. I really appreciate yeah. that. I need to make sure that I fact check myself. Uh, Obama coming in with the real shit. So we, we had Kennedy with doing the Special Olympics. Over time, uh, public education... We'll off- just kind of blow past the next, like, eight presidents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Fuck not them. a lot of good stuff there. I don't want to talk about the Clintons because that's another conspiracy that I don't want to get into. <laughs> uh, but Obama actually was the first president who spoke to people who were mentally disabled and talking about the language that we use to talk about uh, people with challenges. And so uh, he signed into law a bill known as Rosa's Law, which required the terms mental retardation and mentally retarded to be stricken from federal records. So they they switched them with the terms intellectual disability and individual with an intellectual disability. And it has also changed in the DSM-5, which is huge. Mm -hmm. So, you know, more people are seeing it. I'm going to, from now on, say it, the R word. Uh, They they no longer use the R word to describe people uh, as far as, you know, on the federal level. If you do it on an individual level, you're just a fucking asshole. (laughs) But whatever. <laughs> I just like how the the criteria in the DSM five have changed. Uh, the criteria for being a fucking asshole uh, <laughs> remain unchanged. Yeah, yeah. Oh god, but it's cool. I feel that was in two thousand ten. So things are changing. Obviously, we can talk about the quality of public education for disa- disabled kids. You know, but we don't want to get into that. It's not great, though. 
I'm going to say as much of a bummer as talking about this film is going to be, uh, touching on that topic would be even more depressing. Yes. Not to mention access to health services uh, and uh, housing and other support systems. Right, right. Uh, But, you know, we only have so much time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we really want to make sure we dedicate as much time as possible to uh, talking about Juliette Lewis's acting. Right, right, because she's so good. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> anyway so uh, let's get into the movie uh now that you have kind of a background of it, it it will inform a lot of the prejudices that we'll see in the movie obviously and why we are reacting the way that we are to the prejudices which you know in 99 was one thing it was at like i would say level five of offensive but now i feel like we're up to like level 30 like <laughs> Like this I'm so, I thought it. I thought it was a ten point scale. No, and no. then you just blew right. We're talking past Animal it. Crossing levels. Like we're we're you can go up to like up to the one hundreds. <laughs> uh, so what did you think? First of all, what did you think? How 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 did you feel going into this? Um. So this is the longest. Uh, in terms of runtime, this is the longest movie that we've seen. Okay. Um, so far. Uh, and it feels like the longest. Yeah, it definitely uh, did. I kind of thought that the movie was over at one point. I was like, oh, there's another act. That's that's exactly right. <laughs> um, so I would say I was very uncomfortable uh, throughout. Yes. Um, I feel like the the writing is pretty much paint by numbers, right. in my opinion. Yeah. Like, they hit all, it the hits, pop, all the points you gotta hit. Hits exactly every beat you expect. There's oppression, there's misery, there's boy meets girl, there's boy loses girl, they get back together, and, uh, you know, there's kind of all of that. Um, the acting, uh, I feel like the acting, in particular from Juliette Lewis, feels either like Ilana Schlesinger doing uh, an especially tasteless stand-up bit, or oh, Nick yeah. Mullen doing, like, a normal stand-up bit. And then <laughs> uh, I would uh, also say that the thing that makes me, the thing that frustrates me the most about this film uh, is how rich the family is. Oh my God. I just, I talked about Republicanism in most of my notes. Yes. <laughs> how upset so, I am. So, so Juliette Lewis is the protagonist of this film. Her character's name is Carla. Her mom is played by Diane Keaton, who's right. the second build actor. Um, and her mom her family is basically this super rich Marin County, like Northern Cal, probably never vaccinated their kids, <laughs> uh, super rich giant house boat in the driveway family. Right. And we are just, oh, especially, I, I found oh, out ahead. because they were riding their bikes at the Palace of Fine Arts at one point, which means they must live in the inner Richmond, which means they're in like the Richmond of San Francisco, which has always been the bougiest most yeah. horribly Republican <laughs> pocket of San Francisco. And I got mad. Yeah. <laughs> I said, so fuck these people. They have, you know, they have all this wealth. They clearly have an indentured servant of some kind. Right, named Winnie, uh, who actually named, is beautiful and sweet and wonderful. Yes, well, she is easily the, um, you know, she's easily the closest friend to, to Carla right. in the film. But the film begins, basically, Carla has spent most of her adolescent and early adult life um, away from her family in a boarding school in Santa Barbara, um, specifically designed. We can call that an institution. Yeah, she she was institutionalized for pretty much most of her life so far um, and has just, uh, I guess, graduated and comes back to her family. Right. 
like Diane Keaton is just, I guess, hates having a daughter with an intellectual disability. Yeah. Um, I mean, she already has an underachieving daughter and a lesbian daughter. Yet Sarah throw... Paulson is a lesbian. Yeah. By the way. Which is another kind of disability, according to this movie, <laughs> which pisses me off. <laughs> But anyway, <laughs> the backstory that we get as Carla is coming home is that basically uh, her father, who's played by Tom Skerritt, uh, had a drinking problem. Um, there's all sorts of tearjerker flashbacks and like the parents get in a fight uh, during Carla's childhood. That's like, I don't know how to raise her. So let's send her away to the southern end of the state. Right. Um, but not only that, and- this is a school that is obviously very far but it also has limited visitation so there and there's that's right there's that's n- so weird there's no indication besides the fact that she was like oh her sister sarah paulson was like hey uh i'm sorry we didn't come visit you and she's like that's okay they say that this is carla speaking juliette lewis's character she said they say that uh visitation is usually more upsetting for the parents than the children but there's, there's like there's no that what like where was Christmas? Did she ever come home? They didn't answer any of these questions. So she was like, I'm gonna say seven or eight when she left, right. and now she's back. I don't there get are, it. <laughs> there are so many like throwaway lines in this film that I wrote down. I'm like, I'm not sure that's okay. Yeah, <laughs> it's it. There's the 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 logic behind a lot of this makes no sense, but I think. They're trying to play into the emotional snuff of, like, she has been independent for all these years, and now she's back in the controlling hands of her family. Right, and and her mother is especially controlling. Yes. Well, once you see Diane Keaton, you're just like, oh, yeah, yeah, here we go. <laughs> now, that is fueled by her guilt right. over, one, having a daughter with an intellectual disability, and two, sending her away for over a decade. Right. Um... So a lot of what, basically she treats her daughter like an egg, like she's just coddling her and trying very hard not to break her. Right. So you see some early scenes of Carla kind of at a, at a dinner party and Diane Keaton kind of redirecting her throughout the conversation. Right. Um, she, Diane Keaton makes her practice tennis at one point because that's what cultured ladies do. I was very unclear. I mean, they do say explicitly in the film that, Carla's family are Republicans. Right. Um, but Diane Keaton also makes reference to giving to gay causes. Yeah, uh, that was confusing. But still being ashamed of her gay daughter, which I guess makes her like libertarian or something. Yeah. Um, Maybe they're I'm not sure. you know, fiscally conservative, but socially moderate. Yeah, that's my favorite type of person, uh, for, <laughs> yeah. for sure. Um, well, one of the reasons why, which we see in a flashback later in the film, well, one of the reasons why that they sent Carla away was because uh, she didn't like to get laughed at. And a lot of the kids were really mean to her. And there was a scene where, I don't know, there's like six or seven kids following her into her house That's right. and laughing at her and calling her names and calling her dumb and stupid and all these things. And then Carla pushes a kid down the stairs and I'm like, oh shit, he's dead. He's fine. But he, I thought he was dead. And that I think is one of the reasons why she said she couldn't control Carla. But throughout the rest of the movie, there was really no other indication of her being violent or anything like that. So I don't know if that was supposed to be a justification where we're supposed to say, oh yeah, Diane Keaton was right. 
to institutionalize her. Er, of course, yes. Carla has superhuman strength. Right. Uh, she's she's a danger to others. And no empathy, uh, which is, again, never again revisited. <laughs> yeah. She's very she's empathetic. Kinda, okay, we've ticked that box. Let's keep moving. Yeah, yeah. Um, the other uh, great thing kind of in the early scene, so Carla's eating dinner with her whole family. So, again, it's Carla, her parents, Diane Keaton, Tom Skerritt. She's got two sisters. One of them is Sarah Paulson, who is a lesbian. Right. And then the other one is just, like, a general dumb person. Right. Uh, but she's marrying Rich. Right. Uh, she's engaged right now. And the best part is the fiancé, um, his job, as he describes it, is he's doing research into how to make more money extracting oil from the Middle East. Ugh. Uh, so I guess they are Republican. I take that back. Yeah. Uh, so the other thing that we see early on is um, Diane Keaton redid Carla's bedroom. Uh, for her return, and uh, Carla is freaking out because she is, understandably, uh, very resistant to change right, at this point. Right, But at the same time, again, there's no information about how many times she's been home to remember the things that were in her room over a decade ago. Yeah. But, okay. <laughs> <laughs> sure. I'll go along with this, Gary. <laughs> another scene early on that we see of her... Um, just another scene of just oppression and misery and feeling uncomfortable is uh, Diane Keaton is opening an animal shelter, apparently, mm. uh, in Sutter Hills, California. And uh, there's, like, an auction to raise money for, I don't know, it's some sort of, like, bougie shit. Yeah. But, like, um, <laughs> but Carla loves animals. Uh, she has superhuman strength and she's kind to animals and, you know, none of this is playing into stereotypes or anything like that. But she, uh, she frees, uh, the dogs in the middle of, uh, the auction and it ends up just causing chaos. Her mom's mad at her. We feel miserable. It just, I hate this, like you said, emotional snuff, unspecified intellectual disability Oscar bait. Carla runs away and we're, we're like 15 minutes into the film. I know. Carla runs away, uh, gets picked up by the cops who send her back to Santa Barbara, I assume by plane. Yeah, there was a shot uh, of a plane. <laughs> yeah. All because she, <laughs> you know, it's interesting because all of this happened was because she was barking at a dog because dogs are her favorite animal and she wants to be a veterinarian. She was barking. And then the lady at the, at the auction was like, Elizabeth, your daughter is barking. Which like, nobody does that. When something uncomfortable is happening and it's mostly rich white people, they just ignore it and pretend they it's not happening. They do not happening. talk about it. That's exactly yeah. right. Yeah, and then when the dogs go loose, everyone's panicking and it's like, okay, if it was a bunch of millennials, we'd all be fucking stoked that were dogs were out. And we'd be like, where are the dogs? <laughs> yeah, but in this case, they were like, nah, and she runs away and just gets flown to Santa Barbara for some reason. Like, they're- You know how- No, my- You know how- local police offices buy people plane tickets yeah none of this makes sense at all <laughs> but what happens is diane keaton flies to santa barbara to pick up carla right and the principal says you know what you got to give her some independence you have to let her have some dignity and some sense of control in her own life right well he says that she likes to push the edge of the envelope is the quote yes but carla was just trying to like be a person Yes. And so <laughs> whatever. As as part of an effort to give Carla some more independence, Carla starts going to uh to school, not to an institution, not to a school only for people with intellectual disabilities. She's going to Bay Area Polytechnic. Right. I actually looked it up. 
Uh, there is no such school. <laughs> there well, is, that makes sense. There is San Francisco Polytech, which was open until about 1979, which was predominantly black and Filipino, which is, explains why the, sh- the city shut it down. So... Yeah, <laughs> well, the best part is you kind of, the, the there's an establishing shot of the school where you see that there are a lot of students of color. Yeah. Um, which is clearly like, ooh, Carla's now in a rough neighborhood. Right, um, right. And some of them speak in rhyming greaser slang. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> when, there was a, a, a part where she's trying to get into the registration building and she runs into a couple of bullies that have uh, fake piercings and just like general denim clothing. And one of them I recognized as one of the nerds from Never Been Kissed that was on the math team. <laughs> he was on he was on the denominator, so clearly like the trauma of being super, super bullied has led him to be a bully in college. Or whatever this is. Oh my god. I was so mad. He was also Asian, by the way. I feel like uh that's our first representation of people of color, which is a bully. So enjoy. <laughs> Guys, it's going to get worse. <laughs> but they, they, this is the first instance where we hear the R word used as a slur. Yes, against uh, against Giovanni Rubisi, right? This is yes. where we meet him? Yes. yes, yes. Who He's listening to marching band music on his Walkman, which, hello, Walkman, nice to see you. And uh, they cut in front of him in line. And Carla's like, he's in line, he's first. And they were just like, so who cares? He's not paying attention. He's an R word. Right. That's the other thing in her first day of class. So she's taking like computer classes. Right. Which, first of all, the uh, 1999 computer is is hilarious. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. But uh, just this big boxy thing. But um, she gets i have written in my notes in her computer class she gets shown up by a slutty classmate yeah well she takes away the attention from the professor because she is talking to him while pulling her pants down so you can see the bottom of her midriff and the teacher is like distracted but eventually kind of rejects her but juliette lewis is like oh do i have to do that and there's this clip later where she's practicing lowering her own pants so that she can be sexy as well so i guess this is how they introduce that she's normal and has sexual urges i guess i don't (laughs) i don't know what the point of this is it was uh one of many extremely uncomfortable scenes yeah but, but it just goes to show that hollywood truly will sexualize anyone anyone without anyone. feeling bad at all <laughs> uh, so the next day we have our meet cute at the school she's like uh they're like thank you for helping me the other day with registration and he asks her out uh giovanni rubisi whose character's name is daniel uh asks carla out uh and uh he can give her a ride he doesn't drive he rides a bike which is cute and they go to the greyhound station and they load up on the free uh shitty buffet Right. And this is where we find out that Danny doesn't have the same support system that Carla does. He has he lives by himself out out in South City near the stadium, which is really, really far, by the way. Uh, And he basically just kind of hangs out and he takes buses to see marching bands and does his own thing. He's supported by his dad. His mom lives in Florida, but he doesn't have what Carla has, which I guess is important. (laughs) 
<laughs> He's but like the thing, an abandoned boy. The thing boy. he has that Carla doesn't is his own place. Right. He has dignity. Right. And so Carla is really kind of uh, enchanted by this idea of having her own apartment. Right. Uh, and uh, she floats the idea past Diane Keaton a few scenes later. Uh, it's shot down out of hand. Right. Uh, Diane Keaton's like, we're not getting you your own place. The two sisters are there. They're like, why don't we just take a vote? Like, you know how in families how decisions are made by popular vote? Yeah. This doesn't seem very Republican, by the way. <laughs> but whatever. <laughs> um, so, you know, uh, Diane Keaton kind of breaks down during during the argument at the birthday party uh so does tom scarrett the two of them uh the two parents actually they reconcile a few minutes later on the giant boat that's just sitting in their backyard yeah fuck these people (laughs) Uh, and then uh for dinner that night all of the sisters wear these like friendship bracelet style necklaces that carla made them uh as a show of solidarity with carla so we have carla meeting a guy learning that a guy like her can have his own place, asking to have her own place, and the sisters being like, yeah, you should maybe get your own place. Yeah, there is a little moment there where the logic came in, and and Sarah Polson, who is very ahead of her time because she's a lesbian, uh, has... She's a lesbian, by the way, just so everyone knows. She's gay. Her character is gay. She's gay. Uh... Again, another disability, according to Diane Keaton. Uh, (laughs) She says that she has done research that people who are mentally challenged should be living independent lives. And Diane Keaton's argument is that Carla can't take care of herself. Even though she hasn't seen her daughter, I'm assuming, based on everything that they've told us in (laughs) over 10 years. So fuck her, by the way. Uh, But I, I just don't see the emotional investment she has in keeping her down but i guess this is what we're going to be you know getting over throughout the rest of the movie but i i I just don't get it i the uh, i don't know i don't (laughs) can you explain it to me i don't understand No. no i think i think a huge problem with this film is how diane keaton's character is written i think she and you know obviously diane keaton is a a a great actor she's okay um (laughs) her her technique is just talking over everyone there's a scene where they're all having dinner and and juliette lewis is trying to say her lines and diane keaton just keep just just blowing through her lines sorry i I should have been more specific i don't mean she's a great actor in this okay 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 cool 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 cool. (laughs) she was great in first wives club Yeah, that's exactly the movie I was thinking. Of. Okay, cool. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but the way the character is written makes no sense because, I mean, I get that she's like kind of motivated by guilt by sending her daughter away and stuff, but like there was a way to fix that for ten years. Yeah. And, and like just all of the actions that she takes seems very seem very inconsistent. Yeah, I feel uh, like if the they had even she... uh, focus a little more on the mother daughter relationship instead of inserting a romantic relationship, I feel like that could have been a little more compelling, or at least wouldn't have been so heavy handed. Uh, but they had to throw in like, but mentally challenged people can be in love too, and it, it, that message is so gross to me it is so but i don't know anyway (laughs) uh in any event so diane keaton continues to be the worst and one other example of this is uh she acquiesces and lets carla get her own apartment 
But instead of going to see apartments, she hires a guy or a realtor, I guess, to go and take video of apartments. So Carla has no say in what apartments she gets, but Diane Keaton gets two or three scenes where she's watching VHS tapes of this guy showing her around San Francisco apartments and deciding on her couch which one is the one she's going to get. Gross. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just so uncomfortable and patronizing um it's so so gross as they're doing this apartment search um there is a scene where tom scarrett uh like picks up carla from school and he notices her hanging out with daniel right uh and uh and you know kind of um you know tells her it kind of tells diane keaton hey she's hanging out with this guy and diane keaton's reaction of course is to take carla to the park and give her a uh, sex talk. Right, because that's uh, what you do. <laughs> that's what you do. And this is where I feel like it's the gross, heavy-handed uh, idea that Carla is a child. Because she says, in health class, we were told about the penis and the vulva. And she's just saying all these things super loud. And Diane Keaton is just like, okay, shush, shush, shush. But it, it negates everything that they've been showing us that she is independent and actually not childlike. So whenever she's around her mother, she is and proves her point. But when she's not, she's totally fine. It, we're getting two different messages, and I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> um, was Help me out here. Was this scene supposed to be, like, comedic? Was it supposed to be hilarious? Like, Yeah, I think so. Wh- yeah, I think so, too. We're supposed it to think it's funny that someone who's mentally challenged knows about sex, I like, think. Like, can say, can say the word semen really loudly? Yeah. It's really gross. There was a, a, a mention, though, that their teacher at the institution, I guess, says, uh, when you're around men, especially people like them, which is gross... Uh, great, great, great turn of phrase. Y- yeah. yeah, that they need to be careful because they could be get they could be taken advantage of, and so they have to learn how to say no, stop right there. That's right. Which that's right. which begs the question: like, who is doing that, and is that true? I think any anywhere where there's an imbalance of power, there's potential for for abuse. Sadly, yeah, um, and it it could be a very sad, very serious issue that might be worth exploring uh in a film that makes every decision differently than <laughs> <laughs> yeah there were so many different places they could have taken this to actually uh show people with disability with respect and dignity which is the whole thing that they were trying to get across but failed very miserably <laughs> <laughs> so Carla. Uh... Carla eventually goes to visit Daniel, uh, visits him in his apartment, you know, out by the stadium. Um, there are, uh, he has a ton of marching band music. There is an extremely painful to watch scene where he puts on loud marching band music and practices marching in his apartment. Ugh, it's so patronizing and horrible. It's just so hard to watch. Hated watching it. We meet his super um, in the apartment building, uh, Ernie, and the moment in the movie where I laughed the hardest was not a laugh line, but it was where (laughs) uh, Daniel says, out of nowhere, um, after Ernie leaves, he says, you know, Ernie has killed people. (laughs) He was in Vietnam. (laughs) Right, and and the the 
context was he went to Vietnam, uh, served in Vietnam. Um, we never revisit and, that, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> well, we, we see Ernie again, but yeah, we never revisit Ernie's past. Yeah, <laughs> um, it was just kind of a throwaway line. I, it, it, uh, it's just so bad. <laughs> but uh, we do see a little bit more of a glimpse into Danny's independence, which was beautiful. Uh, they go to his... Uh, school where he works for the marching band, I guess as an intern, which is uh, filmed at USF, by the way. Was, oh, no kidding. Yeah, that was, uh, what is that, the Lone Mountain Campus. And this is where we see more people of color who are musicians, <laughs> of course. <laughs> uh, well, well, but let's be specific. They're jazz musicians. Right, right, right. I'm sorry. There's jazz musicians. Uh, there's one also is Walking Wally, who is the marching band leader who does some cool walking. I guess. Uh, but the other guy is actually one of my favorite characters in the movie. He's the conductor of the marching band, or the, I guess it was the Dixieland band. And he notices that Danny is here to impress Carla. And he lets him lead the band. Yeah. Which was sweet. That was, ki- that, that was kind of sweet. It actually. was sweet. <laughs> that was the one part of the movie where it felt very human, which, hello, was a person of color, so hire more of us <laughs> uh but yeah so it goes really well and and carl is very impressed and really happy that he is living such an independent life and it in- inspires her more and more and more to try to be more independent yes and uh she pushes uh her mother uh to uh get her own place and you know they start looking you know with a realtor and eventually like she convinces diane keaton that she's gonna get her own apartment yeah um which is which is great and there's a scene of her like uh in her apartment for the first night um and just like debating whether or not to call 911 uh, <laughs> yeah, there's a car alarm going off, right. and, and there's certain buttons on the phone to press for certain law enforcement or, like, the fire yeah. department. So, you know, she's prepared, she's doing well, but she realizes that being alone is great because she can burp and she doesn't have to say excuse me. It's great. There's, <laughs> uh, there's another scene later on where they're back at Danny's apartment, Daniel's apartment, uh, and they're watching Daniel's favorite movie, which is The Graduate. Uh, which is a movie that I uh, would much rather have watched than this one. Yeah! <laughs> uh, uh, but um, what I do like, and, and you know, there's going to be a callback to The Graduate later uh, in the film, yeah. but I do like, at uh, they're watching the film, they see, like, the climactic final scene where Dustin Hoffman's character, you know, bangs on the window of the choir, choir loft and... Uh, gets the bride to to leave the uh, church and and board the bus with him and she and Carla asks Daniel, do they live happily ever after? And Daniel says, I don't know, which is the correct answer. Right. Uh, he, he said, I don't know. There wasn't a graduate too. <laughs> right. <laughs> which is cute because uh, the graduate famously ends with them getting on the bus and like staring into space, like, oh shit, what did we just do? Right. Ugh. Um. Anyways. Uh. I got the reference is what I'm saying. Yeah. No, you, you um, did it. It's a good job. The, the other, <laughs> the other, uh, the other line. And this is, I think the only other time I laughed in the film is that is the moment where Daniel asks Carla if she wants to be his girlfriend and she hesitates before answering. And he says, are you getting your pepper spray? Yeah, it was sweet. It yeah. was sweet. Well, there was a, a cute moment. This is actually a scene that I rewinded, rewound. Uh, be- yeah, rewound, rewound. Rewound. Because uh, it was 
the only human very naturalistic scene where she was eating from a plate of crackers and one of the crackers obviously this wasn't scripted one of the crackers was like stuck on her sweaters button and it just kind of stayed there and Juliette Lewis as an actor did not make the choice to take the cracker out of her sweater so Giovanni Ribisi was the one who grabbed it and then asked her to be his girlfriend so it was like a really beautiful kind of actually uh, spontaneous moment where you could see that he was very caring to her and I thought okay if more of the movie was like this this happy accident that happened with the cracker made this movie good uh, you know it could have actually been a successful kind of not emotionally snuff <laughs> like emotionally like moving just emotional softcore yeah emotional softcore but I, I, I don't know Th that scene I feel like was what the movie should have been if it had been less about the mom more about their love maybe I would have been on board if it, or if it had been just about the mom without him I would have been on board but there was just too much going on at all times including Sarah Polson being super hypersexual lesbian when she was like on the phone and with her guys just yeah just to recap so Sarah Paulson's character um is gay she's in gay. the film everything uh, is so heavy-handed including how sexual she's sexually attracted to uh to women yeah and so so she's like talking to someone on the phone and then puts the antenna in her mouth <laughs> at, at one point again another heavy-handed thing and uh what was the other one I don't know. She's just like super sexual because she's a lesbian because that yeah. is what that means. Uh, so we should talk about the Halloween dance then. Oh uh, yeah. Okay. So um, there's a dance coming up. She asks uh, gay Sarah Paulson to do her makeup. Uh, Sarah Paulson directs Carla to a mall kiosk. She gets the free demo makeup job on half of her face. Uh, and then, you know, because this is a tearjerker, uh misery film uh she's like oh i don't understand why don't i have the second half of my face done um, because and so she the girl who played ross's girlfriend julie from friends is a bitch and was <laughs> like you have to give me 50 dollars for me to do the second half of your face even though i know fucking, that you're mentally challenged <laughs> fucking mall kiosk scams man uh, by the way that doesn't happen but okay <laughs> okay. Well, the 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 nail buffer thing, not a scam. That's real. That's right. good. Invest in that. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> but you know, uh, she goes home to Diane Keaton. Diane Keaton's actually you know pretty supportive and is like you know you don't need makeup. You look beautiful. Yeah. Um. She teaches Diane Keaton teaches Carla you know to kind of dance and and there's a, a almost cute sequence where they're dancing to Carol King. Um, yeah. And Diane Diane Keaton's like, yeah, just don't uh, move your hips like that. Um, and is protective of her adult daughter. Um, but, uh, you know, I guess I kind of get it, given what I know about the character. What really made me uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> so it's it's Halloween. It's the night of the dance. Daniel is going to be is going to come and pick Carla up. Uh, Winnie, who is the indentured servant that works in the house, <laughs> made Carla a swan costume. Of course. Heavy-handed. Uh, because she was an ugly duckling, and now she's a swan. <laughs> she, um... In case you missed Carla's, it. Carla's... No, no, I, I, I got it. <laughs> Carla, Sarah Paulson is gay. Yeah. Carla springs <laughs> on her... <laughs> Carla springs on her parents. Hey, 
Daniel, this guy I know, is going trick-or-treating with us. My boyfriend, she said the first time. Right, yes, yes. And Diane Keaton just freaks the fuck out. She's like, who is this man? Why is he taking advantage of my daughter? Um, And then Daniel, you know, knocks on the door, comes in the home, and she learns that Daniel is also an Mm R-word. And she is just, Diane Keaton, this wave of relief sweeps over her. Uh, and it is extremely fucked up. It's so fucked up. <laughs> Another thing is, is that Gary Marshall wrote in this script that Danny, who is dressed like a puppy, which is an ode to Carla's favorite animal, in case oh, you didn't get that one. That's very sweet. That he barks at her when he first that's meets right, her. That's right, that's right. Because that is, of course, what they do. So he, instead of shaking her hand or, you know, saying, hey, nice to meet you, he has this puppy mask over his head and barks at them. (laughs) It's so gross. It's so gross. Like, her, her, like, just being like, oh, thank God, he's, he's an idiot child, too. Yeah. It is, like, so, that was so uncomfortable. It's so bad. It's so, it's, uh... It's offensive in a lot of ways, but I feel like even at that time, people could have been like, this is fucked up. I know it's yeah. 99, but Jesus Christ. Yeah. They uh, they end up going to the Halloween dance. Uh, another decent line is the announcer at the dance says, we're not responsible for lost items, so please make sure you pick up your wings and your antlers. Yeah, yeah. There's like maybe two or three lines. I think that's the third and it caps. well the stupid part i feel like oh i shouldn't say stupid i guess in the context of this movie but the part that again i think is so lame is that they posted the grades for their classes during the dance and so the kids could go down and check their grades while they're dancing so carla finds out that she passed her test which she's excited about because it's her first time not taking any special classes She's at quote. She loves polytechnic school. She man. loves polytechnic school, but unfortunately, Danny fails his class, and he takes it really hard, calls himself stupid, and starts crying. So heavy-handed. So heavy-handed, and Carla's like, "Look, we learned at our school that you just have to take the easy classes first. We have no." absolutely no information about what classes Danny is taking. For all we know, he is taking the easy classes, but we, no one told us, no one told us what's going on. (laughs) The, the important thing that we're supposed to take away from the scene is, uh, is that, uh, Danny is sad and we are now supposed to be sad too. Yeah. But also that this is actually the time where they have their first kiss. Oh. So, you know, you should only be kissing someone when you're emotionally compromised, is my lesson that I've learned here. <laughs> um, and it's supposed to be a, cute because they're in costume, but I just hate it. Yeah. <laughs> there's, uh, there's a montage that's a romantic music. And then, uh, and then there's a, a scene uh, where... Tom Skerritt and Diane Keaton are hanging out on their boat, you know, relatable. Mm-hmm. And uh, Diane Keaton, I have the line here, I'm the mother of an underachiever, a gay workaholic, and Carla, the gay workaholic Sarah Paulson, and Carla. <laughs> uh, and Tom Skerritt's like, you know what? They're doing fine. They're not axe murderers. They're not drug addicts. They're not Democrats. 
Um, this is the Bay Area, word. folks. It's especially at this time. You should see, hey Ashbury, you fucks. <laughs> I'm so upset. Uh, yeah. So I don't know what Diane Keaton's problem is. She does absolutely no growing in this movie. No. At all, and finds that her daughter being a second grade teacher is deplorable and yeah the the underachiever daughter the one who's marrying rich yeah uh is a second grade teacher and that's just falling so short of her expectations right and then her daughter is a lesbian and won't acknowledge that she has a partner or anything and so but you know she gives to gay causes (laughs) i just don't understand what who am i supposed to root for when it comes to the parents, because they keep throwing out all of these things where, you know, Diane Keaton is homophobic and also a capitalist and because of her daughter being a second grade teacher. And and then the, the father is supportive, but he's an alcoholic, but he's in recovery, but he's an alcoholic. You know, they, they just keep pounding these things over the head where nobody is supposed to be the good guy. Yeah, I mean, and that's the sort of thing I would expect from uh like a dark gritty <laughs> yeah but they're they're making it so lighthearted. the yeah. the tone it's a shifts. fucking gary marshall comedy the tone shifts <laughs> are just really just tone deaf if we yeah. want to go there that was very nicely done thank you thank you um anyway so so we're moving forward in the story i guess you know people are growing supposedly and, yeah. and and Carla and Danny's relationship is getting more and more serious to the point where they're making out and they pause the movie they're watching and saying that things are happening to their bodies. Yeah. And this uh, is where I want to uh, crawl into my couch cushions and ex- die. That's exactly right. <laughs> uh, Juliette Lewis says, strange things are happening to my body. And my immediate thought is, I don't want to watch any of this scene. <laughs> so they talk about doing it. They never really say sex in this movie. It's always just doing it. Uh, And Giovanni Ribisi reveals that his friends got him a prostitute. Yes, who gave him an over-the-pants handjob. Where I don't know if I needed to be that specific. I don't even know if you were (laughs) correct in that. He said there was a lot of rubbing, but I don't know. Okay. Did he say that he still had his pants on? Are you making assumptions? (laughs) <laughs> no, I think so. Um, like, I, I I have written in my note, the exact wording I have in my notes is, Daniel reveals that he's done it before because some guys chipped in and bought him a prostitute to give him an over-the-pants hand job where he came early, parentheses, rented a prostitute, close parentheses. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm disturbed that there was no... Carla doesn't know what a prostitute is. Uh, She has no opinion on it. We never talk about it again. We don't talk about his feelings about it. It's just like, okay. And, I mean, it is extremely dark because it's like these guys he knew that basically took advantage of him for a laugh. Right. Um, And there is one other extremely cringeworthy line in this scene where Daniel says to Carla, I love you more than band music and cookie making, Um, which is... It's supposed to be cute, but I hate it. Yeah. There is is a truly indelible scene, by which I mean I have tried to scrub it from my memory and I cannot, where 
Carla and Daniel are flipping through a copy of The Joy of Sex. Oh my god. And figuring out which positions they want to try. Yeah, and, and certain ones were, you know, okay as long as she knew how much he weighed. <laughs> yeah. And and Daniel Daniel is horny on Maine. Like he is just <laughs> He he is just like, so can we uh, can we just have sex now? Yeah, and he, Carla he says, brought condoms from a family planning place, which I feel like was very cute. Very responsible. Very I loved responsible. it. It's, again, yeah. it shows his independence and in that he knows things, you know, independently of of an institution or his family. Like, he's really fending for himself here. He is trying. Yeah. And she uh, says no, that she's not ready because she wants to do it on a special day, like a holiday. A holiday, because. Yes. The next holiday coming up is Thanksgiving, and she says there's turkey and more than two desserts, and that's, <laughs> and that's magic. And so that's the day that they're going to do it. Yes. Uh, so she's like, because she wants it to feel special, and again, Daniel is just like, uh, I feel special right now. Uh, <laughs> horny on Maine! Horny on Maine! <laughs> so, for some reason, I just have written down montage again, so I guess there's another montage at this point. But then it's Thanksgiving. Oh, here it comes. You don't see anything but, uh, I think, a pan of the plates on the table and right. a voiceover of Carla saying, is dinner over yet? Yeah, <laughs> she's yeah. she's horny so, on Maine, too. Yeah, so next... <laughs> So, so now uh, both uh, leads are horny on me, which is <laughs> which is the best time to have sex. Of course. Uh, and so uh, they go uh, back to Daniel's place, and Daniel is just like, "Hey, uh, remember what we said we were gonna do on Thanksgiving?" Oh, I think actually they're at Carla's place, and she had brought oh. back a, a bundle of leftovers because he didn't have anyone to spend Thanksgiving with. Oh, that's right. That's yeah, right. He doesn't come. Her family doesn't even yeah. invite him to Thanksgiving. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. That, that is that actually kind of fucked up. Yeah. But it's normal, I guess. It's fine. We're supposed to be okay with this, but whatever. Uh, there's also the line, Daniel, I wonder who thought up sex in the first place. And he says, I think it was Madonna. Oh, yeah. Um, that was cute. Some of uh, those cute things. No, zero <laughs>, laughs. Uh, so... Anyways, we see this scene of them undressing in separate rooms and laughing nervously while, like, touching uh, music plays. By which I mean, like, emotionally touching music, yeah, not music say, for uh, touching. It wasn't sexy. <laughs> uh, and then uh, there was uh, there was a scene where, like, then they go, like, out of frame mm -hmm. into Daniel's room to have sex. There's a point where Daniel runs out to, like, double-check the book. Um, and then, uh, she also says, hey, Daniel, should we have some music? Uh, and he runs back out to his record player and turns on, uh, marching band music to fuck to, uh, <laughs> which as a former marching band member myself, uh, A plus. Uh, <laughs> that was good. I'm glad you feel represented. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was important. It's important to be seen, like yeah. to feel seen Representation in pop matters. culture. And obviously, you know, the the group that I belong to that is underrepresented are people who fuck to marching band music. <laughs> oh, God, I don't want to know any more about marching band. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but the other thing that we learn about Daniel um, after this scene is that his dad is cutting him off. 
Ugh. So sad. He he failed his classes, so yes, he 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 doesn't want to pay for him anymore. So Daniel has to move to Florida to be with his mom, and what his solution is, or Carla's solution is, is that she wants him to move in with her, but her parents are like, no, he's taking advantage Absolutely of you not. because they yeah. he sees you as a rich girl, which he never ever said anything like that. But I guess this is the Republican way of thinking, which makes a lot of sense based on how people are these days. Yeah. Uh, but they don't let him move in. And so uh, Danny wants to find a better job so that he can stay. Um, I don't know if he actually does. Uh, they never resolve whether he gets a job or not. Um, but uh, he does uh, get invited to um, the engagement party. Uh, so... As we said, you know, Carla's got a sister who's a second grade teacher. She is engaged to this uh, oil baron. Um, <laughs> so the whole family's going to the engagement party. Daniel's coming as well. Sarah Paulson, uh, who is a lesbian, is not allowed to bring her partner. <laughs> um, oh my god, and, it's so uh, sad. They're at the engagement party. Daniel is scared because he thinks he may have to move or find a different job or something like that. So he gets drunk. Uh, and, uh, and... During the and by the way, this I, I know we've already talked about how rich these people are, and rich people are the real R words, folks. But <laughs> I know we've uh, already. Maybe I'll cut that line. Uh, <laughs> keep it so everyone knows you're a terrible person. <laughs> okay. Jk, Jk. Um, uh, this is a very opulent in- engagement party. Um, yes, they have a. Uh, <laughs> they have a acapella group dressed they have an acapella group they have an acapella group dressed as people from a christmas story (laughs) you mean a christmas carol or you mean like ralphie with the bb gun you're right it's a christmas story there's no lamp with a leg (laughs) sorry oh yeah yeah. christmas carol yeah yeah. i'm getting uh Uh, i'm getting all my movies mixed up that's okay this will do that to you um (laughs) the the Oil-bearing groom tells an embarrassing story about having hat hair, I guess. Uh, but then Daniel grabs the mic and, uh, oh boy, oh boy, I did not want to watch this scene. Yeah. Uh, In a previous scene, we see that uh, Daniel's really upset that his dad is cutting him off and he gets drunk. How he got alcohol, we don't know. He's just uh, drinking from a really large bottle of wine, riding his bike, and his super... Uh, played by Hector Elizondo, who's the greatest, uh, tells him, you know, cowards use alcohol to be brave. And mm-hmm. so Carla at the wedding uh, is told by Daniel that he's he's very nervous around his family. And she says, well, you just have to be brave. And he goes and gets drunk off of green liquor. I don't know what it was. I assume it's absinthe? Like, I don't know. Yeah, so he goes and gets hammered, and that's when he grabs the mic. So... He didn't do this to be mean or to upset anyone. He was just drunk because he wanted to be brave. So let's preface that. But he tells everyone at the engagement party that he loves Carla. Everyone's very happy. And then he says that they do it. Yeah. that they, he, he goes into uh, a little too much detail on... Yeah. Th- the fact that they had sex with each other, which, by the way, none of Carla's family knew about. No. Because uh, why would she tell them? Why is that any of their business? But uh, there's, like, a, just such a cringeworthy scene where he's, like, he sings 76 trombones. 
uh, yeah. drunkenly because that's their song. Um, Carla breaks down in the middle of the party, screams, stop laughing at me. It's just more fucking oppression. But it's, it's, it doesn't them... make sense because if that had happened in real life, there would not be people laughing the way that they were. They no, were... they would just be sitting in stony, uncomfortable silence. Yeah, but Gary Marshall was like, okay, remember that first scene where she threw those kids down the stairs? <laughs> she threw that kid down the stairs because they were laughing? You guys all laugh at her and don't stop. Don't right. stop laughing. Right. And so she did her, you know, Oscar Beatty performance of being really mad. (laughs) Just screaming, you're stupid, Daniel. You're stupid. I don't want to see you again. Um, It was This is the boy loses girl part. And we have 40 minutes to go in the film. Oh, it's so bad. It's so bad. Uh there's um a, a third montage uh we're getting closer to the uh underachieving sisters wedding there's a third montage there's a scene of daniel marching in a football stadium alone and crying to himself which what the fuck yeah uh carla is walking in the rain by herself and then my favorite visual in the entire uh film is diane keaton holding an umbrella while standing on her covered patio <laughs> Oh, uh, so there's no no need for the umbrella. No need. Um, but they uh, so it's the wedding rehearsal. Uh, Sarah Paulson is pissed that her uh, partner, who is a woman, because both of them are gay, uh, <laughs> is not allowed there. I don't know if you guys know, um, but Sarah Paulson is gay. Sarah Paulson is gay in, in this film, uh, in several other uh, roles that she's played. I think in real life she is a queer woman as well. Oh hell yeah! I think so. I'm not 100% sure. Um, So please do not tweet at me or uh, comment on the episode or anything like that, unless it is unqualified praise for being right. Uh, (laughs) Hell yeah, Sarah Paulson. Friend of the show, Sarah Paulson. Daniel Daniel realizes, as he's boarding an Amtrak somewhere, I don't know. uh, He's going to Florida to be with his mom. He's going to Florida, Mm -hmm. okay. That he can interrupt the wedding... Like the scene at the end of The Graduate, um, and win Carla back. Right. Um, so there's a montage, fourth montage, of him hitchhiking from, at this point, Texas, back to San Francisco. Mrs. Robinson is playing, but it's 1999, so it is a cool rock cover of Mrs. <laughs> Robinson. However, it is not the Me First and the Gimme Gimme's cover. I didn't recognize the cover. Oh, that was a good uh, cover. That was a good cover. That was a great cover. And uh, so as he's hitchhiking, we see uh, the night before the wedding, the three sisters are having a fun bachelorette party. And uh, I would like to uh, take a minute here to focus on one very specific scene. <laughs> so it's just the three sisters in their pajamas. They're goofing off, right? Mm-hmm. Sarah Paulson. Gay Sarah Paulson. L- gay Sarah Paulson uh, makes a dolphin noise. Carla's like, Sarah Paulson, make your dolphin noise. And she does this dolphin, you know, eat, 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 eat. I can't do it. She does it much better. <laughs> so uh, here's the thing about Sarah Paulson. Um, she's gay. Eh, she's gay. But uh, seven years after this movie came out, she was the lead in an NBC TV series called Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip. Hmm. Uh, this was Aaron Sorkin's series that he did after The West Wing. It's completely unwatchable. Matthew um, Perry was is, in that, right? Matthew Perry was the lead. It is so far up its own ass. <laughs> um, it is It is horrible. Sarah Paulson plays the equivalent of, like, Kate McKinnon. 
<laughs> she's she's like this multi-talented star of a sketch comedy show. And because all the episodes are written by Aaron Sorkin, none of the sketches that we see are actually funny <laughs> uh, or clever. Um, but one of the one of Sarah Paulson's characters that brings down the fucking house in this series is uh, is Dolphin Girl, who's just a woman that makes dolphin noises. Which means, like Sarah Paulson, the actress on her resume has like can make dolphin sounds, and we first see that in this film. Wow, this is what Aaron Sorkin saw and was inspired by to write the pilot for Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip. Yes, exactly. Uh, That character also was based on... The character she plays in Studio 60 is based on Kristen Chenoweth, uh, who is Aaron Sorkin's, like, ex-girlfriend in real life. Are you serious? I am serious. I Uh, had no idea. She can do so much better. Oh, Jesus Christ, yes. (laughs) (laughs) I hate Aaron Sorkin. Sorry for everybody who loves him, but fuck that guy. (laughs) No, no, no. But then uh, uh, they get we get to the wedding. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Uh, It's a very traditional kind of everyone's wearing beige kind of wedding, and uh, (laughs) I don't even. This movie is so shitty. I forgot what happens. Well, what happens is Giovanni Ribisi sneaks into the choir loft. Oh yeah, falls out of the choir loft grabs a banner on the way down so he's like hiding he's like hanging on a banner but it's fine because according to the logic of this movie he has the strength of 10 men right 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 and like tom scarrett is like you know i thought the worst problem was going to be parking uh well uh, i think you forgot one very important piece of the romance tony oh oh please please. At the beginning of the movie, when Danny is talking about his job with the marching band, he mentions that they don't pay him money, that they pay him in marshmallows. That's right, that's right. And so when he goes to, oh, and then Thanksgiving, uh, Carla mentions that she puts the marshmallows on the sweet potato casserole, which is cute. He said that was (laughs) his favorite part. Again, another mention of marshmallows. You don't think that marshmallows are going to be important at any point in the movie, but when he's in the choir section in the in the church that's right he's, that's right he's throwing mar- like mini marshmallows to get her attention to get her attention and it's landing on everybody and diane keaton's getting pissed and that's when she sees him because he has his marshmallows and then we never see marshmallows again <laughs> um but he proposes to her yeah uh, while hanging from the banner the reception uh everyone's happy um Giovanni Rubisi has proposed. Juliette Lewis has said yes. They're at the wedding reception. We still have 20 minutes to go in this film. I thought the movie was going to be over. (laughs) Um, And Carla is like, Mom, we should plan another wedding. And Diane Keaton's like, no, uh, not now, and also not ever. Uh, You're not ready to uh, get married. Um, Right. And so there's this great, I guess, great scene... (laughs) This is the Oscar moment, right, for yeah, Juliette Lewis, where... which ends up becoming her Razzie moment. Oh my god, are you serious? Yeah. Oh my god. So Diane Keaton is uh, following her, who's, she, Carla's running through the golf course, and Diane Keaton's riding on a golf cart trying to catch up, and being like, I'm gonna do my own wedding, and you don't have to come, and you don't support me, and this is the moment where we're supposed to think that Juliette Lewis is supposed to get the Oscar, but I just wanted to turn the movie off! 
It was so bad. My eyes are not closed, mother. <laughs> the by the way, her her acting technique to be Carla. Uh, I I think she did no research. She just <laughs> she just decided to put her tongue at the bottom of her teeth and not move it. Right. Uh, but you know there were times where I feel like Juliette Lewis made no choice to be disabled in any way or right. I, I mean i don't she doesn't even seem disabled in any way but you know good for her for doing this <laughs> but the wow. line the line she says is i can't do better i'm not better no matter how long you wait i won't play tennis but i know how to do some things and i can love which is not a super great message no. that i am on board with yeah but again it is a someone who is different is providing something for someone else. Yes. And I hate that. It's it's not good. Let them be shitty people and still be worthwhile. God damn it. <laughs> we uh we see uh Carla and Daniel planning the wedding. The sisters are actually um very supportive of Carla it's and sweet. Carla uh, Carla invites Sarah Paulson's partner and I know what you're thinking. Do you mean her boyfriend? But as it turns out, <laughs> Sarah Paulson uh, as it is turns gay, out, you guys. It is a woman because Sarah Paulson's character is a lesbian. <laughs> oh, it's so great. It's so great. Uh, so their invitations are actually puppies. It's a party yes. invitation with a dog on it because, of course, uh, she writes a long message that their wedding is in between a wedding and a funeral, so please don't be late. Uh, it's it's all great. But the one other cool part of it is, is that there's another person of color, which ups our representation to four people, which is one, <laughs> one of Carla's friends from school is one of her bridesmaids. Oh, yeah, 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 that's right. So I thought that was really great. That is nice. Yeah. Um, so they have the wedding. Um, they kind of rush through parts of the storyline, but basically Tom Skerritt, her dad, is going to the wedding. Diane Keaton refuses to acknowledge that it's happening. She uses Tom... terrible prop work on her magazine. She's supposed, <laughs> to... <laughs> she's supposed to be, like, reading a magazine, and all she's doing is just moving it page by page really, really quickly. It's like, Diane Keaton, if you're supposed to be pretending to be upset, just stare at the magazine. Just one page. Ugh, her prop work is so bad. I'm starting to think Diane Keaton isn't as great as we all thought. Yeah, you. there may be something to that. Scarrett <laughs> um, basically convinces her to come. He says, when you reach a certain age, you're not talking to your children. I think you're mer- missing a very important part of the journey. Um, I don't get they, that line. I don't think it's yeah. very well written. What is the point? Yeah, it's a shame because everything else up to this point, the writing was just fucking airtight. <laughs> uh, <laughs> They they do uh they do the ceremony they do their vows Carla flubs the vows but uh then you know the priest is like that's okay you can just you know you can just take it again um but it's so fucking overacted holy shit Ugh, it's so over the top uh Diane Keaton does show up at the very end wearing a comical hat <laughs> that is uh, most of the hats that she's wearing are touching her eyelids but she refuses to raise them. I hate, I hate it. The, the, the scene at the Palace of Fine Arts, she's wearing like a leather Newsies kind of hat that is like far over her eyebrows, touching her eyelids. And like she's even lifting her head up so she can see. And it's just so uncomfortable. Diane Keaton, what are you doing? <laughs> what is up with your hat and your prop work, lady? God. Ugh. Anyway, sorry. I had to go on that. Try, try. It's fine. 
grand romantic gesture at the end. Nadia, would you like to tell everyone what it is? Danny got the band to do the marching band. Marching band to us their song, and Walkin' Wally was walking. It was great. It was uh, it was very sweet. Uh, do you want to do reviews? <laughs> yeah, I I uh, I I only have the common sense media review. So if you want to do your reviews first. Oh, no problem. Yeah. Um, I actually, I only have two and they're both, uh, pretty quick. Uh, and I, I took it from two, uh, San Francisco papers. Hello. Uh, just cause, just cause those were A, the easiest to find and B, <laughs> also where this movie is set. Right. Um, Walter, uh, Adiego, uh, for the San Francisco, San Francisco Examiner, uh, wrote a review which, uh, includes my single favorite sentence in any, uh, film review <laughs> at a computer class, Carla meets Danny a baker who is also slightly retarded. <laughs> First of all, inaccurate. They didn't meet in class, but okay. Um, but uh, the other thing that uh, Adiego says is, this is Gary Marshall at his utterly commercial best. Ugh. A few laughs, a few tears, a big positive finale. If sugary concoctions are your cup of tea, you'll savor the other sister. Um and then Edward Guthman wrote for the San Francisco Chronicle uh, a slightly less positive review. Um, <laughs> Life is cheerful and oversimplified in a Gary Marshall film. When Carla meets Daniel, a young bakery worker who loves marching band music and is also mentally challenged. So again, not perfect, but definitely better yes. in terms of the word choice. Uh, their puppy love becomes fodder for some well-intentioned comedy and a test for Carla's uptight Republican mom. Treating Carla and Daniel with humor instead of solemnity or kid gloves is a tricky proposition, and Marshall deserves credit for the effort. Counterpoint, he does not. <laughs> he tries not to condescend to the characters, but his film never manages more than a glib TV movie of the week glance at their lives. Yeah. Uh, which I, I more or less agree with, um, just because uh, he's just trying to thread a really tiny needle here mm -hmm. between... This is definitely a romantic comedy, but uh, it is also, like, a parade of misery and uh, sadness. Yeah, it's also really too long. Really, really oh, too long. They could have cut 40 minutes out of this and not lost anything. Oh, my gosh. But what does Common Sense Media say? Uh, Common Sense Media doesn't have a whole lot to say. Uh, it says what parents need to know. <laughs> this is all things we've talked about. Parents need to know that this film explores the challenges that a family faces when their developmentally disabled daughter fights for independence and reacts to her own growing sexuality. I didn't know that sexuality was such a big part of the storyline for so many people. I feel like it was just something that made me uncomfortable for a couple of scenes, but okay. <laughs> I'll continue. It says, The filmmakers take great care to introduce the young lovers, both of whom are mentally impaired, to sex in a mature and sensitive way. There is some kissing, and they begin to undress, but no actual nudity or foreplay. Language includes, yeah, right. Language includes some terms associated with the human reproductive system, including. <laughs> Hold on, <laughs> I can't stop laughing. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Penis, even sperm, vulva, and doing it. <laughs> Doing it is the only way sexual intercourse is described. A young woman is seen in bed with her female sexual partner, and their lesbianism provides... <laughs> Please tell me lesbianism is in all caps. I know! <laughs> Sorry. 
And their lesbianism provides a separate challenge to some members of the family. There is some alcohol consumption in social settings, and the young male lead purposefully gets drunk on two mis- two occasions and misbehaves. <laughs> yes! <laughs> the description of the movie from Common Sense Media is funnier than the movie. <laughs> there are no kid reviews uh, because no one of over the age of 14 has watched this movie according to this website but do they do they mean like for the website or they mean in general for no the website okay. for, the, for the website there was a, uh, a one review written by stepmom stepmomster like a monster uh, she gives it four stars and says the relationship aspects of this movie make it a great family movie for older kids, but I'm a little worried about the subject of sex. If you aren't comfortable with the subject of sex becoming a topic of conversation, then avoid this movie. Other than that, it's a great celebration of individu- individu- individuality. In- individuality. <laughs> <laughs> individuality and overcoming obstacles. This contains sexy stuff. <laughs> I actually, I feel like I've seen a t-shirt that says this contains sexy stuff at like a gift shop on Michigan Avenue. They got it from the Common Sense Media Commons section of The Other Sister, clearly. It's funny because it says our editors recommend what's eating Gilbert Grape. Um, oh. So, so with, with all that in mind, you know, final three questions here. Uh, something that worked in the film in 1999 that probably still works today? Um, that's tough. You know, I I really liked that it was a little bit of an homage to San Francisco and being from there. It felt very familiar and they were very respectful of the city and what the city can provide. Uh, But, you know, as far as the actual people in it, I feel like it missed the mark. (laughs) What do you think? I would say um, I did I did laugh at the line. I don't know. I feel pretty special right now. Yeah, uh, like that the, was funny. The, the horny Daniel stuff. Um, <laughs> I, that I thought was was kind of cute and kind of funny and and realistic. I think. Yeah, um, I feel like they did well with Danny. Yes. Yeah, his character, and obviously, you know, Giovanni Ribisi's done some, some, uh, had some good roles before, and, and, uh, yeah, this, he deserved better than this movie, I think. Yeah, I feel like he could have done, I mean, he could have been, you know, What's Eating Gilbert Grape good, because Leonardo DiCaprio's great. Well, he's great in everything. Yeah. You can't compare. (laughs) Um, I'm a big fan of Giovanni Ribisi. I'm going to give him five stars. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Rest of the movie, half a star. Giovanni Ribisi, five stars. (laughs) Um, I will say, just in general, um, I did not, you know, obviously I did not like this movie. Yeah. I was not filled with the same seething hatred for it. No. That that I had for what women want or for bringing down the house. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it wasn't a feel good movie, but it was a feel fine movie. (laughs) Like bringing down the house was a, I'm going to be really pissed off and I have to go on a run kind of movie. Yeah. But because I've seen it before and I didn't remember a lot of the details, but I did remember liking it. I think it's more of like self-reflection of like, why did I like this back then? Uh, not in a funny way, but, like, really legitimately. And I think 
there wasn't a lot of representation of people who were mentally challenged in a romantic kind of representation. So for me back, I feel like back then I thought it was cute. I thought it was something different. Uh, looking back on it now, it's obviously really offensive. And, you know, people who have mental challenges deserve way better. And maybe even having somebody who is disabled starring yeah, having in a, movie a goddamn actor with an intellectual disability portray that would, in a film yeah would have would have been way more compelling uh also recasting diane keaton would have been way more compelling. <laughs> <laughs> but you know uh i i understand what they were trying to do it was just too heavy-handed yeah so okay so respect I guess that kind of but yeah <laughs> I guess that kind of answers the last two questions. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, let's end with uh, respect. Respect. Yeah. Uh, other sister. Respect. <laughs> um, yeah, or, I mean, if you're if you're watching along, I'm sorry. If you're not, I hope you're enjoying us talking about it anyway. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks so much for listening, everybody. Um, we will be back with our next episode. But until then, you can follow us uh, on Twitter at ProllyShoulda, P-R-O-L-L-Y, S-H-O-U-L-D-A. On Twitter, Nadia is It's Nadia Vasquez. I am at IMAX Afterlife. Uh, and uh, you can follow us on Facebook and on SoundCloud as well. So we'll see you next time. Bye! Bye.